Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation features Georgina Young. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel. Every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of these lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, acknowledging these are unceded lands, that treaty has never been made with the First Nations of this country. Today, I'm joined by Georgina Young. Georgina's debut novel, Lona, won the Text Prize for Young Adult Novels. It was commended by the Children's Book Council of Australia and was shortlisted for a Prime Minister's Literary Award. And now Georgina is back. She's got a new novel. It's called Bootstrap. It is exciting. She is joining us today on the podcast. Now, Ginsborough is famous for its chicken and leek pies, but not much else. Down the road in Kornang, all they've got is Al's Takeaway. And Jackson Sweeney, well, he's doing his best to sour that one's reputation. Sweeney's not languishing in Kornang, per se. Languishing sounds way more active than what Sweeney is doing. With nothing but hooly-doolies on a Friday night to look forward to, and Sweeney's patched most of the blokes there, life is looking pretty dire. That is, until a tall, dark, and very out-of-place bloke named Bootstrap splits into Sweeney's life, saying he's come to see the night that Sweeney becomes a hero. Join me as we discover Georgina Young's Bootstrap. Georgina, thanks so much. Thanks for joining me. Hello, good morning. Thanks for having me. I tried to, I was building up momentum there because like, we're going to be talking about Bootstrap and Bootstrap is a novel that has momentum. It doesn't start that way though. We start in Ginsborough, famous for its chicken and leek pies and not much else. And down the road in Kornang, all they've got is Al's takeaway, and Jackson Sweeney is doing his best to sour that reputation. Sweeney's not languishing in Kornang per se. Languishing sounds way more active than what Sweeney's doing. With nothing but hooly-doolies on a Friday night to look forward to, and Sweeney's passed most of the available blokes there, life is looking dire. That is, until a tall, dark, and very out-of-place bloke named Bootstrap splits into Sweeney's life, saying he's come to see the night that Sweeney becomes a hero. All right, now we're building some momentum. There is so much to the novel Bootstrap. It's, there's, there's a love story. There's a rumination on regional life. It's a bit coming of agey. And then there's the truly wild elements that we might get into later. I am curious where it all began for you, though. Surely it didn't just, you know, split into existence fully formed after a night out. Uh, no, I suppose it was really influenced by a lot of the... I'm very into science fiction and fantasy, and I think a big influence on it was um, Doctor Who. And I would always... I really like time travel narratives that make sense. And um, I think with Bootstrap, I was just trying to write a time travel narrative that was narratively satisfying and that sort of uh, met itself chronologically. And that's mm. sort of where it began. And the other part of it, as you mentioned, is that it's set mostly in a couple of small towns in rural Victoria and which is a region, um, the northwest sort of region of Victoria is a place I'm 
quite familiar with because my mum grew up there. And so I don't know when I decided to set it there. I think I was just thinking of sort of a, a meeting of time travel, which is this big kind of action-filled concept, and then just putting it in a town where uh, Jackson Sweeney, you know, he says, like, nothing ever happens here. And so then just seeing what happens when that collides. Yeah, and it's it, it doesn't it feel there's feels like there's this weird cognitive dissonance around the idea that collectively as a culture we probably have more familiarity with the fictional concept of time travel than we have with regional Australia. I mean, like, you know, when we arrive in Ginsborough and Kornang, Sweeney's guided tour, it leaves a little bit to be desired. But, you know, clearly he's got this love. And later when Marnie, Sweeney's friend, when Marnie arrives in town, she's trying to sum up her feelings. And she talks about how her ex just didn't get it. She says, I couldn't make him see the country like I see it. Did you want to kind of interrogate that relationship that we have with regional Australia? Yeah, certainly. And I was thinking um, recently about where Marnie came from and I couldn't really remember why. And I think maybe it sort of grew out of the idea that I wanted someone from the city coming to um, the country, but she really loves the country and it sort of, is a alternate perspective to Sweeney who feels quite stunted in his hometown. And so she comes to the country and she really likes it and she's got family there and it's a place for her that is sort of like a second home where she can relax and be herself. And I did really want to write a book about country Australia that was a bit different from like a lot of the stories which are often like either like horror or they're really like gothic stories and the townspeople are portrayed as being backwards or menacing and I just wanted to write like a fun country Australia book yeah that and and look that's that's what I really I really got like you it's sort of like you you are doing a knowing nod and a wink to all of those tropes and saying ha 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 this is not that book I mean like so Marnie Marnie's come she's kind of fled Melbourne and come to Ginsborough. She, she's hiding out from her life. And, you know, that's what the town offers for her. It's also kind of what Bootstrap is. We haven't really gotten into Bootstrap. I've, I've alluded to the fact that he just kind of appears in Sweeney's life one day. We kind of, you know, he's kind of, he's there to maybe hide out. He's definitely not from Ginsborough. Um, how do you how do you account though for that? Like thinking about those towns as you've created them, how do you account for that contradictory impulse of hiding out in a place where everybody knows everybody else? <laughs> yeah, I guess it's the. It just sort of just reminded me that um, oh, it's hard to get into without talking about the time travel. But I feel like when you're time traveling, thing you are always an outsider wherever you go. And so this is just another place um, where the character Bootstrap is going and where he is perhaps out of place. Mm. And it's interesting because I think Sweeney um, also feels out of place there, but he also does have this deep connection with it. And so he's showing his new friend around this town Mm. and yeah, I don't, I think it, it, it is that sort of idea, like how much of an outsider you are and how much, which I think you get with Marnie as well, because mm. she is both sort of like internal to the town and outside of the town. 
And you've mentioned time travel a couple of times now. You clearly, we're very comfortable with the idea that this is this is a concept in the book, and it's not giving too much away because time travel time travel can be this over the top. I mean, you know, you mentioned being influenced by Doctor Who. Love Doctor Who. Um, Really, really quite sad. Sorry, I actually had to pull myself together before this interview because I was just like, ah, I'm prepared. I'm just going to look on Twitter. And I saw, I don't know if you heard this, Bernard Cribbins, who played Wilfred, has has recently died. And I got really sad (laughs) as a big time Doctor Who fan. And I'm sorry, that's really, I didn't mean to drop that on you, but it was like... (laughs) All this Doctor Who kind of coming together, and that's that's one trope of time travel where things all come together in this one place. But of course, time travel could be completely prosaic, where you just do your everyday stuff, but in a different place. Um, can I talk? Can I talk a little bit about that? Because one thing that we know about time travel is that you know there's it, it works within a certain um, defined space, and in Bootstrap. Um, you have a character who can do this. I'll let you talk about the whys and wherefores if you feel comfortable, but we know that in a world that simultaneously doesn't have time travel but also has seemingly a million theories on how it would work if we did have it, that these rules are important. What influenced your rules when you thought, okay, time travel? How did you sort of set yourself parameters? I think, um, as I was saying before, I really like logic and um, rationality and things fitting together in narrative. And so for me, I wanted to create a sort of time travel that made as much sense as I could possibly make it in like Mm. chronological form and how it fits together. And I think things like the example that I'd always use when trying to explain the sort of time logic is like um, the – time turner sequence in prisoner of Azkaban. Mm. And it's just that idea of um, time being cyclical. And so time travel also being cyclical, which Mm. also came with my sort of fascination with um, sort of philosophical concepts of time, particularly um, Nietzsche's eternal return, which is basically the idea that, um, time is cyclical and always repeats itself exactly the same over and over again. And so you experience everything, um, all the mistakes you make, all the things you do, and also all the joys over and over again. And I found this concept when I first discovered it quite comforting, even though it was sort of presented as though it could drive a person mad to know that they always do the same thing over and over again. Mm. And yeah, I think all these things just sort of came together into this sort of time travel novel that I wanted to write. It's and at the risk at some point we're going to have to be like on the like I do, Andrew on radio does the little call time symbol that, that came across well. Um, the, we, we'll have to come back to specifically to your novel, but that also has real echoes. Have you read Kurt Vonnegut's Time Quake? No, I've read. Slaughterhouse Five, yeah. and that was um, at about the same time when I was like looking into all of these things, and that sort of had a big mm. impact on it. Exactly what you were just saying there, though. Timequake is is about um, basically everything gets thrown back in time. I think it's about a decade, and people are literally forced to live their lives again, knowing full well what's going to happen and that they can't influence it in any way. So they just they live their lives with awareness but no control. 
Um, yeah. Which is, I think, yeah, Kurt Vonnegut was really interested in a similar sort of, mm. um, well, he was very fascinated by the sort of theory of the eternal return as well. And so, yeah, that sort of was a big influence on a lot of his work. Mm. I love, and again, I'm, I'm coming back to Doctor Who because you mentioned Doctor Who as an influence. <laughs> I actually felt like you were, and I loved the way it seemed like you were maybe inverting some of the tropes of that timey-wimey narrativization. So in Doctor Who, um, you know, big fans or many fans might see the space-time continuum as a realm of infinite possibility and adventure. In Bootstrap, you, in sorry, and in the character of Bootstrap, you show us that all of that openness can also be an emptiness and it is possible to get lost underneath the weight of possibility. Bootstrap has a lot to show us about despair and I wondered is that part of the heart of science fiction the, the heart of time travel not the amazing tech but the reasons people are using it I think so and I think something that like um came across in uh when Doctor Who first came back the sort of Russell T Davies mm. seasons was um at that point in time the Doctor was like the last of um well, the last of his race left essentially. Mm. And so he had this really big sense of isolation and loneliness, even though he could go anywhere and do anything, even though he was interacting with a lot of different people constantly. Uh, and that was something that they sort of like investigated in the series. And I did find that quite interesting rewatching it. Um, I think when I was slightly older, cause it was like less of the um, just sort of like adventure kind of thing. And then I was like, oh, there's also this sort of like philosophical aspect to it. And also the character in Doctor Who, Captain Jack Harkness, who's as well as being able to tap travel through time, he's, um, he can't die. And so the idea that no matter what, you're just going to live through things and all the people, you know, dying. And I think that that idea that you're sort of time travel, as well as being an adventure and being able to free you, can also be a bit of a torment because like just being able to go through time sort of annihilates you in a way mm. because it removes you from any solid connection to people or places because you can be anywhere whenever you want. Yeah. I loved, I caught the Captain Jack reference, love the Captain Jack reference. Love that they brought him back more recently. Quick, mm. quick nerd question. And then we get back to the book. Is Captain <laughs> Jack the face of Bo in your, in your head canon? Have you heard that theory? Yes. Yeah. I I was actually thinking about this recently. (laughs) And yes, I think so. Generally, yeah. Cool. Cool. Very good. Very good. (laughs) Back to the book. And much like a good science fiction narrative, I am now jumping all over my interview questions. So now we're zipping back in time to something that I was going to ask you earlier. Um, We were talking about the town and, you know, really sort of setting the scene, setting us up for this incredible adventure in the last place, or at least the last place Sweeney assumes an incredible adventure. Uh, would would he ever even happen? And I'm stalling because I'm trying to find exactly where I got to in my questions before. <laughs> so we're in Kunang along the short and partially boarded up streets, um, and we see this incredible and eclectic cast of characters. But at the beginning, Sweeney is in a rut. He doesn't know this is about to happen to his life. He's doing his usual Friday night at Hooli Dooley's. Uh, when in this uncharacteristic display of selflessness, he tries to help a woman being mugged. He's not alone, though. There is a, a very out-of-town-looking bloke named Bootstrap. He's just appeared, and he's looking for Sweeney. 
And you set up this really, and as we learn, it is almost a paradoxical question about Sweeney's behaviour. I'm not interested in, the, you know, the, the chicken and egg of it, though, but really at the heart of change. Sweeney has done something so incredibly out of character, more than time travel, this act Sweeney deciding he can be this sort of different person sets the action in motion. What do you think it takes for people to make that sort of real change in their lives? I suppose it's one of those things where you just really don't know until it occurs. Um, in It's a situation that in the novel Sweeney is just confronted with and he realises that he's the only person who is going to do anything about it. And so therefore he thinks, you know, well, no matter what, I guess I will have to do something. Mm. Um, And I don't think, as you're saying, it really even occurs to him at the time that it's sort of being flagged that this will happen. It just becomes a matter of he's there, he has to do something. Mm. Um, this, This may be an absolute nothing of a question though, but when Sweeney came to you, was he just the cynical sort of at sometimes barely likable person and then he evolved into the character or did you always know that he was going to change? Like, did you know like bootstrap when he appears that this was the day he would become a hero? Um, I don't know. It's hard to tell. Cause yeah. I feel like as the, as the writer, like I, I always, like him and mm. no matter what he does. Um, and it was sort of the most fun that I've ever had writing, writing his character and his um, narrative. And I think just a lot of him, I mean, I've come up with like at the beginning, I will have plotted it all out. And then his voice comes just as I then start writing it. And so it's then when things like his sense of humour, his tone, and therefore how it sort of like influences the style of his passages, that's when that all sorts of comes together. Is it something of the town as well? I mean, I noticed that throughout both of the towns, you have these incredible characters, like characters that you really want to know a little bit more about. Al, Sweeney works at Al's, and Al has, is it a shotgun under the counter ready to pull um, <laughs> if someone complains about something as, as minor as, I think the chicken salt, I think the chicken salt yep. was. Chicken was, salt, yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, and is it is it Ollie who just seems to pop up at the, the right or wrong time? Yes, on his yeah, just page? around Ginsburg, yeah. <laughs> is there... Is there something to that of Sweeney, maybe even below the level of consciousness for him, but he he both suspects but also fears that he is just going to become a character in the town? Yeah, I think that a lot of his... I think the reason... Because he expresses his desire to leave, but a lot of his hesitation or his the fact that he hasn't done so yet mm. is the fact that he feels so connected to the town. Um it is all that he's really known. And so I think possibly he thinks that a lot of himself is embedded in the town and possibly the town is embedded in mm-hmm. him. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that, that makes a whole lot of sense. And I mean, I guess we are very much embedded by the places that we're, the, the, the places that we're brought up and the places that bring us up. And it is 
I mean, I think in Sweeney we see that real shame that for people who live in certain areas, like regional areas, they're often kind of told that, you know, unless their town has a thing, they don't matter. Um, you know, that, that life occurs, you know, what is it, something like 80 plus percent of the population occurs in big coastal cities and there can be that struggle to find the thing that makes you worthwhile if you stay where you stay. And, and Sweeney really pushes back against this idea that he might have to leave. Yeah, I think, I mean, something that I wanted to look at um, with writing about country Australia is the fact that, as like, as you were saying, that the idea that these towns will sort of not be able to be regenerated unless they have like a thing, mm. which I find bizarre, like the idea that a town can't be self-sustaining anymore or it can't just be a town. Like Kunang has been, it's falling into sort of disrepair, like there's not nothing much happening on the main street. Um, and it's because I suppose these rural towns sort of like aren't at the centre of industry or anything anymore. They can't survive as they are. Like a lot of them have to do something that then makes them like a visitable town. Mm. And I think this is sort of something that is just in the background of Bootstrap. Decision time. We've we've kind of already we've we've dabbled in the sci-fi, but I want you to very consciously tell me where you would like to go with this conversation. There is more to explore in the um, I guess the timey wimey side of things, but there is also a love story. Where would you like to take us? Do you want to? Should we go love or should we go to the future or the past? Um, and we're going to go. We we can go to both areas eventually. <laughs> like I'm not saying I'm, <laughs> I'm not saying choose one and the other one will be forever in the bin. I think maybe let's go love. Go love. Okay, I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> mostly, mostly because I have an enormous spoiler question that I want to ask you, and it's really convenient if we just put that at the very end. Okay. Um, so we've we've talked about how Sweeney has this epiphany, saving or realistically trying to save the day in. Um, in the mugging. Uh, but something else happens through the story. Um, as Sweeney, you know, something happens to him, and it's, it, it is in, in the same order of... Um, it's very hard to pinpoint a certain point of the narrative, but we see it evolving, and he softens his heart a little, and he let, he learns to sort of let in love. He's quite cynical at the beginning. You know, he, he makes a comment that hooly doolies, he's probably pashed everyone that he's going to have a chance at pashing already. He... Is a little, you know, he doesn't really do relationships. People kind of react like, what's going on with you at the thought that he might be getting a bit moon-eyed. Tell me about that, that evolution. Tell me about letting in love. Yeah, I think it's sort of the, um, probably a lot of his personality is formed around, um, I guess in some ways sort of like a self-protective quality where he doesn't want to sort of let anybody really in in that respect and it takes this kind of set of extraordinary circumstances and the prospect of someone who he wants to spend time with who has all of all of time sort of available to them and so could leave at any moment and that really ups the stakes for him I think and he realizes that things that he says and if he gets angry or tells him to leave, that the, the stakes are much higher because he could leave and he could, you know, never see him again. 
Yeah, so that glibness of that he sort of wields like a weapon is, yeah, it's really very protective in that sense, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And sorry, <clears throat> like I, I'm very interested in anger as well, and like anger is an emotion that can be very destructive in your life, and but very easy to sort of rise to. Mm. It's clearly hard for Sweeney being gay in a town where he knows he's not maybe fully accepted, but also where he knows that, that you know, there's not a lot of romantic opportunity. Like we've very, I've very glibly mentioned a couple of times that he, he says, you know, I've pashed everyone I'm going to be able to pash. But, but also that, that sort of throws out that, you know, for more than that, for a romantic opportunity, God, where's he even going to take a date? Um, does that sort of thing influence his cynicism about love? I think so. I think like the town and the way that he views it as sort of like limiting to him probably affects then how he feels his opportunities romantically are also limited. As you're saying, like, what's he going to do? What can he offer to somebody who comes to him there? Mm. Owls. Yes. (laughs) The lake. Yeah. (laughs) And it's so interesting though, because he's clearly like, there's, there's clearly a part of him that is, I guess almost incandescent about this because he doesn't want he doesn't want to go to Melbourne when he finds out his best friend is is leaving to study. He's, you know he he wants those opportunities, but he wants them where he is. As much as he he kind of makes fun of Kunang and Ginsburg, he he wants those opportunities to be in his space so that he doesn't feel like he has to leave. Yeah, I think you're right. I think like a lot of the. Um a lot of his cynicism and sort of like, as you're saying, he sort of takes the reader around the town essentially sort of just like being disparaging, but there is this sort of sense that he doesn't really at his heart think he's going to leave. And he, that's interesting that you say he sort of would like for that to the opportunities to come to him. I hadn't really sort of considered that, but um yeah, that is interesting. It feels, yeah, and it, it sort of feels like, I mean, a, a parallel would be, um, you know, just a really basic infrastructure stuff that happens in small towns as well. Like even even where I live, you know, I'm only 100 kilometres out from the Sydney sort of CBD, but for a lot of people, if you're looking for health infrastructure, it's it's not necessarily available. You know, I wanted to get the flu shot and it was like, oh, yeah, yeah, great. You can have the flu shot next winter. That's when we're booked up till. <laughs> um, you know, really, really simple infrastructure that people are, are told, well, mm, it's not really, we can't really provide that here. It's easier to make you travel to go get yeah. that. And in, in his quest for love, or well, he doesn't even know it's a quest for love, but Sweeney, Sweeney sort of seems like, like no, it's, it's simply not good enough that we have to gut this town and everyone goes somewhere else just to get the basics of life. In his case, love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I, and I think I sort of did want to like um, sort of express, if not explicitly, sort of that sadness that this town is dying. Like it's mm. just like, and it, it would be, great if it could be sort of regenerated in some way, as you're saying, sort of to be able to offer the people there something more than the, what they have. Mm. 
But of course, that's exactly why Marnie is coming. She's like, I'm going to get away from this. She's got a lot to deal with. <laughs> She's. I don't want to. I don't want to spoil how her story unfolds. But suffice to say, she is not looking for love right now. No. That's <laughs> I was curious about how that unfolded. Her. So her ex is Ben. He has not been a good partner. That's why they're exes. But you know, Ben's sort of thrown around the narrative a bit as well. What did you want to portray through Ben's, he's sort of seeming nice guy, but also he's a bit kind of gaslighty in his behaviour and his need to continue to be seen as the nice guy despite, you know, all the things he's done. I I suppose I just, I'm also, another thing I'm interested in is um, like forgiveness and the idea in relationships that people can sort of make errors um, and in the sort of narratives that we construct like with um, empowerment and stuff that, you know, if somebody wrongs you, you should just remove them from your life. Mm. And the idea that maybe, you know, at your heart you don't want to, And if that's sort of like a betrayal of the sort of ideology or if it's just like a more human emotion, like Mm. if you can just feel what you actually feel. I think that's something that I wanted to look at there, just like a relationship that's had like a lot of strain on it Mm. and whether there's what can be salvaged from that. And just looking at two people who just really do who have sort of like a fraught relationship but do enjoy each other's company and just basically seeing that unfold and how something that's happened in the past impacts on their current relationship. Yeah, yeah. And it is it is a really interesting question. We are, I think we are at a point in time where it's really important to unpack behaviours that particularly men have gotten away within their relationships. But yeah, when we, I guess when we come out the other side, we, we do have to deal with questions of forgiveness and um, yeah, I was, I was interested in Ben's behavior because like, if we contrast Ben and Sweeney, like I feel like if you met them on the street, Ben is the person you would gravitate towards. He is the person who would be most immediately sort of warm and opening, but it's very hard to sort of, as we come at things and we've, I've not even mentioned that, Bootstrap unfolds through these um, alternating perspectives of Sweeney and Marnie. We get Ben very much through Marnie's perspective where it is messy because there is a lot of love there, but there's also the very recent past where Ben, you know, Ben's done the things that got him to be an ex. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I suppose I'm just very interested in, like, the contradictory nature of people and mm. and not necessarily just making a point of things, just mm. sort of like looking yeah. at the way people are and mm. how, you know, unexpected or messy their sort of feelings can be. And I suppose just in that way, just like that we just are all people who, you know, who often feel things that we should or shouldn't feel like it's just, mm. yeah, I, I didn't want it to be sort of like a clear cut. I, I'm not really that interested in sort of like clear cut morality. And yeah. so it's just, I think with Marnie and Ben, it's just really something that I, I mean, with Ben, like I don't really 
want to cast any judgments on any of the mm-hmm. characters, I suppose. Um, just sort of show them as they are. And we're just getting, you know, like Ben from Marnie's perspective. And we'll leave the judgment to us, the reader. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, really, it's sort of just like take what you will from it. I mean, look, if you, uh, you know, if you want to allow people to evolve and, and we take them as we, we find them, you can do worse than a time travel narrative where you can literally meet people out of order. I mean, just again, to go back to Doctor Who, that fantastic arc of the Doctor and River where they literally had to pull out their diaries and check whether they were meeting each other in the right order. Mm. And that's my way of avoiding spoilers because I didn't want to talk about that specifically in Bootstrap. But it is it is a very real thing where we have these threads. And now we're moving... We've we've gone from the, you know, acknowledging that this is about time travel is a teeny spoiler. We're moving into light spoiler territory. So, dear listener, if you've not read Bootstrap and you don't want to have anything, anything that might possibly revealed revealed, this is where we turn down the dial. But I've got to, I've got to acknowledge, Georgina, on a reread, I noted all the setups that you'd included that point to the various threads of the various plot lines. The first thing I was curious about is how that evolves. Were these organic or did you have to kind of retcon your own narrative at the editorial stage? Um, so I set out the narrative for Bootstrap beforehand. So I sort of knew things that would be happening mm-hmm. across various stages of the novel. Um, and other things I would just sort of, add in as I was going along and think, oh, I can do that and put this in here. And then also, like, it's a process sort of, I suppose, and then you get to the stage when I was rereading it and thinking, oh, okay, well, then we can sort of mix this around just to, like, match that and just making sure, trying to catch everything before the end, just trying to make sure it fit together. Did anyone, did any of your, I don't, what do we call them, beta readers? I'm not sure. Um, (laughs) We, we are calling them beta readers now. Did, did any of your early readers have to point out any plot holes or did, had you kept it pretty tight? Um, I didn't really have any early readers. It was, wasn't until sort of the editorial yeah. process that I think um, my editor pointed out like a couple of things where sort of like maybe like the wording was off that somebody had said sort mm. of earlier. So it's just like rearranging that um, or otherwise I would just kind of like towards like the um, proofreading stage, I, I came across something. I was like, oh man, this and sort of like fix it up. But it was just sort of that little parts at the end, which are just trying to get the details sort of aligned. Mm. Um, something that you mentioned earlier sparked an idea, but I wanted to leave it till this, you know, we've, we've warned people about spoilers. You were talking about how this idea that these regional towns, these smaller towns, might or seemingly have this inevitable decline. Um, there's a well. What I want to ask is: Was it a deliberate juxtaposition where you show us Bootstrap and Sweeney? They go back to the past, a seemingly quite desolate space. I mean, you know, brimming with organic but not human life. And then there's this kind of wondrous moment where Sweeney sees a little dinosaur. <laughs> was that a deliberate then juxtaposition with the future scape where they jump forward into Cornang and Gin- Ginsburg's future? And we see, I guess, a similarly desolate space. And if we are juxtaposing, we would presume that maybe there is still a little, you know, glimmer of life, glimmer of hope that might be discovered. 
Yeah, I think so. I Like, as I've said, I'm sort of interested in like cyclical time mm. and, um, I, and the quality of hope rather than hope, hopelessness and despair. Mm. Like when you consider even things just like the world and the environment, just like approaching it with the, with the idea that, you know, there is cycles, there is regeneration and the possibility for these things. And, you know, even when Sweeney and um, Bootstrapper in sort of like a far future, which is, um, in a sort of like urban derelict landscape. Um, and Sweeney says, well, what happens after this? And Bootstrap saying, you know, well, something new. And just that idea that, you know, things can mm. recur and regenerate again, I suppose. I've said that a lot, but yes, that's, I think that is sort of like a central theme to the novel. No, beautiful setup, beautiful setup. Hope regeneration, something new that all segues into my final question for you. I, I, because I, ha- I had to note in saying that you, you, you know, had all these callbacks, you had all these drops for plot points that tie into the timey-wimeyness of Bootstrap. I also noticed there were a few things, call them loose ends, like Marnie's nans seeming confusion, starting to sound a whole lot like she might know something. You didn't even explain how Bootstrap got his name, or maybe you did. Am I doing? Am I doing my usual overreading here, or is there something more in a, in the offing? Have you subtly pointed to a sequel? <laughs> I mean, you don't. I, you don't so subtly. The, the final line of the book is we go. Isn't it like we go back? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I like. Of I mean, course, I'm, we're going back. So the final line is, of course, we're going back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I really like loose ends, and um, I find them both infuriating and delightful. Like I, I loved, for instance, Lost, which was just infinitely just bamboozling and made no sense. And there were just things that you thought would be meaningful and would never be meaningful. And I, and I love that in narrative. Mm. And so I do like to sort of. I suppose I sprinkled a bit of that throughout the conclusion of bootstrap as well. Okay. I'm not happy. Like, uh, sorry, but before I let you go, and I mean, you could do, you could obviously just click end on zoom right now, but you, you, you've got a choice. You either have to write a sequel or tell me, did Marnie's Nan know something? (laughs) You don't have to answer that. You don't have to answer that. Love to, I'd love to read a sequel though. Um, um, but yeah, just, yeah, just a lot of fun. And I mean, yeah, I feel like a lot of people would read a sequel, you know, just in, just in case you needed, you needed, uh, you know, a job for the next six months or so. <laughs> That's well, my friends have recently been reading it have just immediately when they come back to talk to me about it, they're just like, so sequel. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. <it's- laughs> what a terrific book. Thank you so much, Georgina. <laughs> Well, thank I, you for having me. <laughs> I am speaking with Georgina Young. We are discussing her new novel, Bootstrap. If you have stuck around till the end, or if, much like a timey-wimey here and there uh, across the time-space continuum narrative, I have edited this so you are listening to the ending without all the spoilers, know that this is an incredible book and that there is so much more to discover that we have not talked about. Thank you so much, Georgina. Thank you. And, yeah, I just... 
love a good time travel narrative. I mean, it was so cool. I mean, the, the Doctor Who influence, influences, you know, the little message, like the little references were so great. And I'm so glad that you are actually a big sci-fi nerd too. Um, or this just could have gotten, like, been a weird interview. <laughs> That's it for this great conversation with Georgina Young. Georgina's new book is called Bootstrap. It is out now from Text Publishing. Great Conversations is recorded on the lines of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. You will find us on all the various social medias. Look for the handle at Final Draft 2 ser If you are enjoying the show and you want to get it popping into your podcast app every single week, go just subscribe. Final Draft, Great Conversations. It's easy. You probably subscribe to a bunch of others. Now, my name is Andrew Popel. It is a pleasure, as always, to talk books with you. Join me next week. I'm, I'm going to be back. There's so many more incredible Australian authors to be discussing and joining us here on the show. Till then, happy reading. Bye for now.